Esports is one of the fastest growing industries in the world. And this is the podcast where we talk all things branding, marketing, sponsorship, and events. I'm Rebecca Langawa, founder of Happy Warrior, and I'm an esports brand builder and strategist. Join me as I discuss the world of marketing and esports with some of the top experts in the industry. Welcome to the future marketing in esports. Welcome to the future of marketing and esports. I'm your host, Rebecca Langawa. And today I'm so happy to have my new friend, Jenna Johnson, as a guest. Jenna, how are you? Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. So we met through LinkedIn. Correct. Correct. And you have a really amazing background with, I mean, almost 10 years at, at, at Octagon in traditional sports, which has kind of evolved into having a deeper understanding of esports. And we had like this really cool conversation around kind of where the market is going and the future is going. So thanks so much for for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. I just want to take, you know, the next, you know, 30, 45 minutes to just kind of talk about you, your career, how it's evolved and like, what you're seeing in in esports because you've had a really successful career working with some of the largest brands in the world on getting them into the sports this emergence of esports there's so many really robust marketing opportunities so take me like all the way back to you starting your career as an intern, I believe, right, at Octagon? Yeah, uh, it actually goes before Octagon. I went to UMass Amherst, University of Massachusetts Amherst, where I studied sport management. And I was really lucky to get some really great internships through those programs. And I think my my thirst for this industry really started when I worked with, at the time, it was Ally Action Sports. They were bought out by NBC Sports maybe 10 years ago at this point. And what they focused on was the winter and summer do tours, which was for skateboarding, snowboarding, skiing, you know, all the games that lead up into the X games um, in Aspen at that time. That's where I worked. And I ended up in 2008 launching the very first winter do tour at Mount Snow in Vermont. They built a Olympic size at the time. It's now much bigger for Olympic size, but at the time it was Olympic size, uh, super pipe, all the big parks and stuff. So we launched that. And that's where I really got my first bite into event experiential marketing in sports. And that just kind of clicked for me where it was like, okay, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. I love working with the vendors and the brands and the partners. So, you know, graduating in recession means no job. I worked for free. I spent a year on tour with Ally Action Sports doing both their summer and winter do tours. And because of that, I had a friend that recommended me for it, like referenced me to Octagon. And I got what they called at the time, it's a limited term, but now it's, it's called a trainee. It's pretty much a paid internship. You just don't get any health benefits or anything. And I was lucky. My client for the 10 years I was there was MasterCard. One of the biggest and one of the, I think, one of the best brands to probably work for if you are on their good side, because Octagon is pretty much their main agency of record where they ask a lot of our opinions and they ask us to build out their programs and stuff. So, and I say us, I keep doing that, but I love them and they were my family for so long. It's very hard to break out of that. <laughs> I do the same thing when I talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves, like it's right. still like a huge part of my identity over the yeah. years so it's, it's always like like I'm still there but I'm not there but I think no I like, I just I I will forever be an Octagonian at heart I think it's just I, I was there for so long and I loved that company and everyone that was involved in it so much you're just kind of like you forget that you're not there anymore I'm also getting older so my brain's gone it's fine but anyway so I started really in a it, which I think is the bread and butter of MasterCard it was called merchant marketing and issuer marketing so merchants were like the retail stores, Saks Fifth Avenue, Macy's, JetBlue, the hotels. And then you had also issuers, which were their banks, the so Bank of America, Fifth Third, First Horizon, anyone like that. And if they had a portfolio with MasterCard, what I ended up doing was working with those merchants and issuers, banks and retailers, finding out you know what their purpose was with their customers, whether it's brand new acquisitions, you're launching a brand new card, you're trying to remain 
have them spend on that card. And MasterCard has this incredible portfolio of sports and entertainment and arts and culture partnerships. And that includes sponsorship assets that come with it, which whether it's tickets, you get to use their name and IP. So I ended up taking those sponsorship assets and curating these custom programs that were reaching to a B2C, B2B market. Ended up launching over my first year there was over 180 campaigns and launched them across the globe. So I was very lucky. As that turned into, I went into the entertainment portion for MasterCard on their EDM sponsorship with SFX. No longer in existence, they went bankrupt in 2015, 2016, but we handled all of their EDM concerts as from a MasterCard sponsorship standpoint. So that meant like on the ground branding, experiential activation at these, um, at these main activation and jewel events. We were also trying to push MasterCard as top of wallet behavior. Mm-hmm. You're trying to show people you have a MasterCard in your wallet. Right. Guaranteed 80% of the time, none of you know you have a MasterCard in your wallet. <laughs> That's really interesting. So, I mean, that was what you said, 2015, 2016 with, with 2015, 2016 mm-hmm. EDM. So for listeners who don't know what EDM is, generally mm-hmm. you explain to us that. Electronic dance music. So you have, I think some of the big names you'll know is Diplo, Skrillex, Armin Van Buren, you know, those, those legends there, there's a lot more now you have Darrow, you have a bunch of different Dylan Francis, you have some really great uh, artists out there. And what they did is they curated these incredible events. There are these music festivals, which we all know and love very well. And they were just solely dedicated to electronic dance music, EDM, and that, and it cascaded across the globe. These are billion dollar franchises that are all over and we were able to take it to the next level. Sponsors hadn't really done much in the space. Mm-hmm. They got the assets, the tickets and the IP rights, but they never really did anything on the ground. T-Mobile is a great brand that has done a lot in that space and Smirnoff or Diageo. So we were kind of going neck and neck with those two top tier brands and we wanted to do something a little bit more unique. So in each one of the festivals that we had access to, we curated our own stage. So we've, we procured the talent, we built the stage, we only allowed access by MasterCard cardholders. So if you didn't have a MasterCard, you couldn't access the stage and see the talent that we had. Yeah. Made it very unique. And then it was we were the only ones that usually had another bar inside our activation tents. Usually you have your, what I like to call them, liquor jails. So Smirnoff had little jails all over the space, but you couldn't leave there without the liquor. Well, you could come into our tent and use your MasterCard, touch and go. We were able to showcase products. So like your tap and pay, you know, get extra surprises, you know, merch, all that stuff. So it was, it was a really unique way for us to kind of um, touch into the millennial space and show them, you know, what it's like to have a MasterCard. You can always get these priceless experiences was one of our main key motto phrases that we use. Yes. Yes. Yeah. MasterCard experiences is definitely something that when you think about MasterCard, it brings you into that. They've kind of championed that for years. And it's interesting because being one of the first to market to go after that that EDM audience, which is mm-hmm. really trends as the next generation of consumer, really marries up to to the to the gaming space as well. And there's a ton of crossover. Even now, you take you know fast forward four or five years later, and that's a huge part of of that market. So okay, I digress. So you were so you were working on those festivals. What what happened next? So SFX went bankrupt and all of our jobs went away. <laughs> but Octagon being a, an incredible agency, you know, they didn't want to get rid of good talent just because a client went away. So they kind of maneuvered us back and forth. And I got really lucky to my old manager. He was just great and liked my work. So I ended up moving over towards MasterCard's global marketing portfolio. So what that meant was I helped champion their global sponsorship portfolio over five different regions, which meant I, I managed their 150 sponsorships, 50 plus global ambassadors and over 150,000 sponsorship assets, including their jewel events and got to be a part of the key strategy build on new projects. One was a gender balance initiative in 2017. How did they take their internal and external stakeholders and make sure that it is fitting for empowering women in the workspace and as well as outside of the workspace? How do they really communicate to women? Are they doing the right things with these new sponsorships that they're signing millions of dollars for? Are they touch pointing on uh, their internal stakeholders and making sure that women are growing in the space in the right way that they should? Do they have enough women leadership? And then it merged into esports. So Got to go into that. We, you know, like I said, Octagon on the MassCard team, it was not just, it was a bunch of us. It was like 15 people. And that's from junior level to the highest level. You know, it was, there was no 
titles involved. Everyone was new to this whole space and everyone curated it together. Year and a half of research and insights. Octagon has an incredible research and insights department. And they took a year and a half to really study the space. They wanted to break into the Gen Zers and the millennials. They also wanted to tap into the Asian market more than they have before. You have Olympic Games coming through and they want to make sure that they stand out against their competitor visa. How do they do that? And uh, we found that this space was just so unique in its sense. The consumer is nothing we've seen before. And it also is very scary because they can they can really tarnish a brand if they want to. If they don't like how you come into their, their ecosystem and if they don't like what you're doing in their space, they'll, they'll take you out. So we were like, okay, so that whole priceless thing we have going on is going out the door. <laughs> right, right, right. But what, me, what, ended up, what, were, what were some of the, the tangibles, those insights that you guys felt, okay, this is a space we need, we need to be in? So we would be the first. So there has never been a global product or a sponsor that was part of it. And we ended up deciding that Riot League of Legends, just because League of Legends is just such a unique gaming platform for itself. You know, it's free, MOBA, all that. So we were just, we were immersed by their fans as well. We all ended up attending. It was at, oh my God, it was at Brooklyn Arena. So we ended up going to Barclays. Thank you. Can't think. We were at Barclays and we went to one of their tournaments there. And it blew us away. We couldn't believe the fandom. You know, you walk in first and it's all the merch before you even go into the event. And then you go into the event and the fandom is just, it is intense. I thought it was going to be people with crickets. Just sit there watching, staring at a TV like this. No, it was not like that at all. And there was a lot of touch points we saw in, in the arena alone, but also how can we talk and capitalize onto these, these new consumers that we were trying to reach? They're younger. They speak different languages. Their average medium household income is 90 grand a year. We've never done that before. So we were really excited to go about that. And then it took us to the next level of like, how do you talk to a millennial in 2018? How do you talk to a Gen Zer at this point? And this was a great way to do it because everything's in game. What were uh, the tactics that you guys utilized? How did you, how did you come into the space? So first we had to buy, we had to get the massacre people to buy in. So, yeah. you know, it's not just like they snap, yes, Octagon, whatever you want, dear. No, it was not like that. The team was really great. They ended up in, uh, curating this. It was like a travel cargo container, if I could describe it best, where they covered it inside from top to bottom LED screens. So it was an immersive experience. So when you walked in, it was augmented reality that you were in a Barclays Center in an actual world championship tournament. They had the gaming consoles. They had, you know, the, the key players in the League of Legends from the different teams that would come in. And we ended up, taking on tour during MasterCard's Jewel events from January to December. Unfortunately, not fortunately, fortunately, we only made it to June <laughs> to MLB All-Star and uh, everyone had bought in. They were at this one point being like, forget UCL championship assets. We want these assets. We're like, no, no, you have contracts. You can't, you can't do that. But, and we had the key stakeholders play, understand the ecosystem and their players talk to them about what they see. We had gaming developers come in as well, explain how they came to this point and give them the history behind it. So they were very educated, much like you and I have talked about. The education process is extremely important when it comes to esports. It's a complex space. It's a great space, but it's a complex space. And if you don't understand it from a brand's perspective, you could really just waste your money and your time where there's just so much space that you can actually activate on. The next part was we had to explain to them, you had to slowly integrate ourselves into this space. So all it was is in the game, you just saw a MasterCard logo on the bottom of your right-hand screen. That's it. Just, just a logo. Just understand it until we got on site at the World Championships. And that's when we did the MasterCard Nexus activation space, won a bunch of awards. And in that space, we partnered with Twitch. So we were able to get some of, we had their main podcasters for League of Legends. We had a lot of the key players come into the space. They were able to play the game and win prizes. You know, there was a lot of great things that went through musical acts and stuff. And we were able to, the cool thing that we were able to do is we, I know now it's popular, you know, the mirror that people now do workouts on. Oh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we did that very similar, but it was you look in the mirror and all of a sudden it goes, wraps around. You get to curate your own avatar and your avatar went into your own game. You could transfer it into your game. That right. was our coolest piece. Yeah. That was the only thing that we, no one else could do it. You showed your MasterCard, you got access to that. And then when you had that, you got a MasterCard gift card to help purchase anything you want within the League of Legends games later on. So that was how we really tapped into the space. And then I left. <laughs> 
but it was a great success. And I, I, I got my first taste of esports and just how unique of a community that is. And I, I love, love seeing what it's doing this past year. Incredibly. I just, yeah. I'm blown away. So. Yeah. I love that you guys took a really holistic approach from, you know, live event, experiential activation to in-game integration and some, some of the digital touch points, but then really held it authentic to MasterCard by really kind of allowing these gamers and, and people within, you know, the industry to be able to interact if, if they had a MasterCard, right? Like, and, and like you said, what you were finding is so many people have MasterCards that they, they don't even know it. So that's just yeah. like leaning in even further on, on brand awareness. So where did you go when you, when you left Octagon? So I, I went to, I ended up wanting a complete, I think anybody who has been in this industry sometimes just wants a change, like a complete opposite 180 change. I wanted a more operational, managerial, internal. I didn't want to travel. I was exhausted. And I really wanted to take something that was my own. I've had incredible managers at Octagon and leadership, but I wanted to be my own manager and my own leadership. So I went to TLC Marketing. They are a shopper loyalty reward marketing agency. What they do is they work with the top Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 brands, and they become a turnkey solution by providing digital rewards towards their consumers when they go and purchase. It's very quick. It's usually a six-week campaign, Mm -hmm. mostly like gift with purchase. And I went there to help their North America office. They are a London-based agency. Pretty much get themselves together. They didn't have any process and procedures. Their digital platform didn't really make sense to the consumer. And I went in there and pretty much helped generate new business for them, revamping their entire structure, how they were built. I brought them, I built their first research and insights and web development team. They didn't have anybody like that. They sat on this incredible, great consumer data that they could just monetize and sell. They didn't know how to do that established that. And then I revamped their digital rewards platform. Within the first three months after it launched, we ended up generating $4 million in brand new business during the pandemic. So it was, it was a really incredible experience. Unfortunately, due to COVID, you know, I only was only there for about a less than a year. But now I, I think the blessing of that was I, I knew it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. I got what I wanted out of it. And I learned that I can be a great manager and I can help build things on my own in a business and generate revenue. But now I really want to tap back into the esports space. I think it's a, I just, I have the bug and I can't get rid of it. (laughs) No, it's a really exciting, I think it's a really exciting space. And when, when we have individuals like yourself who have been on the agency side, done a ton of research and discovery, understand loyalty programs, experiential marketing, digital marketing, and can see things from the the agency lens and mm-hmm. the corporate lens. Like that's a really unique talent set that I think you and I both have in common. But really lends it, it really lends to the esports space because we are able to kind of understand it from what each party is going really wanting to achieve and yeah. achieve. And then being able to architect solutions that really marry those together, I think is going to be key. What are some of the examples of activations? I know you've been really keeping your finger on the pulse of what's happening in industry. Like, what are you super excited about seeing from a a marketing standpoint within esports right now? I mean, the in-game concerts is pretty phenomenal to me. Travis Scott launching that in April. You saw Lil Nas X come in this last month. No, November, two months ago. I also love seeing the brands. So like Louis Vuitton with League of Legends, they're curating their own. You you can't afford those maybe. Maybe you're a consumer that just never could afford a Louis Vuitton bag or outfit or Gucci or anything like that. And now you're in this game space where you can wear that. You can actually be a part of that brand that you've always wanted to own and have and be associated with. MAC Cosmetics, curating a whole line for female av- or any avatar. It doesn't matter. No discrimination. You know, you're you're able to test out those products and you might be, it's a great touch point because as you're so immersed in this game or any game for that matter, you are able to get in touch with those products consume, or, or uh, brands and you're going to go and maybe become a loyalist out of that. You know, I saw this lipstick in that game. I want to go buy that right now. Hello, Sephora. I'm here. Like that's, right. there's the, that to me is just, it's so unique and organic. I think that's what's so, un- what I love so much about esports right now is that 
yes, I love traditional sports. They do it right. They've got a formula. But I will say, though, they are lacking in the innovation factor and category. I think augmented reality is one of the best ways to teach anybody how to learn. It's a visual. It's a it's a mechanism that you actually retain. And I think when you're in these games, you have an augmented AR reality into those kind of brands and what they represent, what their messaging is. Why do you think TikTok's such a big deal right now? It's quick, creative no no barriers you're able to do what you want you identify with anyone on that that's why your for you page is so so expansive and that to me i think a lot of brands are taking those risks like mm -hmm. i think if you go outside of an nfl which we both know very well you go, you have this cookie cutter type a can't break outside the box then you go to this and you can break outside the box and who knows who you're going to connect with right on a global scale you know that's the beauty of digital it's global it's not stuck in this one little industry. It's all over and it's instant. So I love I that you're talking about in-game because I don't have a lot of conversations with people, not, you know, through LinkedIn or on my podcast or in real life that are really leaning in and, and talking about in-game activation potential. Yeah. I think a lot of times, and, and probably because of traditional sports, like it's so easy to take that traditional sports mindset and model and understand how that fits into gaming because there's, right. there's franchises and teams. So everyone's like, oh, sponsor a team or do this with this specific athlete, right. um, or this specific <clears throat> streamer. But those in-game activations are, are really interesting and really connect people long-term and, and can build a lot of brand affinity. I think DHL is a really cool example. Yes. Creating a, a little delivery cart. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great example. And then when, I can't remember what game, what game was that? Do you remember? It wasn't League of Legends. It was, was it Overwatch or Fortnite? It was like Dota. Or, I'd have to look it up. I mean, I literally am going to look it up. I could be wrong, but I did read that article. That was an incredible, smart. That was smart. Because that's the what you're thinking about. It, it, it like... It lived within the game for so long that when they went to the live event and they kind of recreated with like a real person, I'm literally looking at it right now. That was like an ESL. So Forbes did an article. Forbes has an article, if anybody wants to look it up, from June 10th, 2019. And, and it says how DHL and ESL created the most memorable esports sponsorship ever. I mean, that's like weighty. Like, that's like a weighty way to say something. From Forbes, too. Not like some, you know, random blogger from Forbes is calling that. Like, that's, you're making a statement when it comes to that. I mean, seriously. So it was the ESL one Birmingham, the Dota 2 tournament, right? Dota so 2, okay, got it. $100,000 Dota 2 tournament. But yeah, within this article, they were literally saying that as soon as DHL came up on the screen as a partner, the mm -hmm. crowd started chanting DHL. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, a, they're a delivery company. Like, they're like the least endemic brand to gaming, which is a virtual experience. It's a digital experience. DHL right. Completely 100% physical experience. You're taking something three dimensional and physical, you're putting it in a box, and DHL is bringing it from one place to another. It's not a virtual <laughs> experience, not a virtual company, but they've been yeah. able to immerse themselves in game first and really just be seen as so authentic to the space that that loyalty was ingrained that when they came and they walked into that real life experience, people, you know, were just ecstatic to have them there. Well, I think that takes experiential. Like if we, as you know, Mark, we've been in marketing for a while now, I'm not going to date us, but we've been in marketing for a while now. Yeah. <laughs> Hot minute. <laughs> Hot minute. You know, we've got to spread our wings a little bit. You, you think the experiential is like on the ground in front of you where somebody gets to touch, see, taste, whatever it is of the product that you're trying or whatever you're trying to push. And then they become, they become a consumer of it. Mm -hmm. Well, DHL took that to the next level. You don't have to be on the ground in order to do that. And also to make those kind of connections and actually become, have people now be screaming DHL during this, this event. Like right. that's a whole, that's up here. That goes all the way up here. Like that's a whole new level. And I think that's a really, that's one of great examples of how this is going to continue to move forward. 
and right. brand. Like, look, I mean, brands, look what they look do. Brands learn. Like what, what, how do we take that and what can brands learn from it? Well, I think, I think one of the biggest things I've, I've noticed brands and it's, it's the big brands. So I'm not going to just, I mean, not that DHL isn't a big brand for God's sakes, but I'm going to say like some of the bigger brands that we know that don't like to take risks and don't understand their audiences and don't have that impactful messaging to connect with those audiences. Mm -hmm. And I think when you go into this market and this kind of demographic, you're, you're taking a big risk. And I don't think a lot of them understand how that that risk could actually elevate them to another level. Like DHL could have flopped, right? MasterCard could have flopped. Right. They could easily been no. No one would have resonated with them. No one would have understood what they're they're about, and they they took risks in it. You know, they relied on our word. Like here's yeah. where we're seeing this. And I think you know one of the biggest things for me looking at that DHL example is they didn't really overcomplicate it. They didn't no. try to do a million things. They didn't. They didn't. You know. They just came in, they had a, a simple in-game, felt very authentic to their brand because they were delivering things mm-hmm. in the game that people were mm-hmm. needing, right? And then they and then they lived it out in kind of a quirky way in 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 the largest event of that season, right? Right. And but that's the key one to just say they didn't overcomplicate it. Well, I, you I think can't overcomplicate brands and and they make it almost harder than it is, you know, you don't mm-hmm. reinvent a wheel. You don't need to create something from scratch or something new, be yeah. a part of the culture because the game, the game itself already existed. It is already culturally exactly. relevant. Right. Um, you don't have to create, you know, DHL could have created some gamification, completely new little app or, or game that had to do with, delivery, but then how are you going to get people to engage with that or to care about it? Like you're asking them to do something new. This is a space that already exists and they met a huge fan base of, of a very large game where they already were. And they just were authentic because the way they activated was true to them as a brand, but then they anchored it all the way back by being present in a really big moment when it comes to that game. Right. But nothing was really like super complex. I'm sure there was a lot of, you know, heavy lifting on honing in on that exact concept and how it was going to come to life. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like yeah. no lift. There's definitely a lift there. Mm-hmm. But the narrative, the way that they came in, it was really like from start to finish consistent all the way across mm-hmm. the board. And, and it, and it was measurable. It wasn't like ship more. It wasn't like a loyalty program where it's like start shipping and you're going to earn the things. It, it, it right. wasn't selfish. It was like, we just want to be a part of your community, bottom line. And that's and where I, the dollars are going to come. Like, 100%. Uh, and I think your point of not overcomplicating it, you have to think about the audience. You know, I know as myself as a millennial, you asked me to do th- past three steps, I'm out. I'm not going to yeah. pay attention to that. And so not overcomplicating it and realizing you don't need 18 steps so you can get all the data you want. It'll come in time. Like you'll get that data. You'll get all those things. Maybe you do a survey at the end or whatever, but Mm -hmm. you don't need to overcomplicate it to make a statement in there. And that is a great example is DHL. I think Louis Vuitton was a great example. They just popped up one day. Hello, we're here, you know, and, and it just like blew people away. Like, is that a Louis Vuitton outfit in that game? Like what, what's going on here? I don't understand. And then you know, you take the concerts though. Now you've got, I think another thing that brands need to understand is y- you have the athletes now so involved. Look mm-hmm. at them be They do yeah. it so well. They have, I don't know how they get away with it with all the categories that they have inside these games, but you have their brands immersed on the side panels as you are playing, like you would be in a normal NBA game in a game. I yep. just saw like Budweiser in there and stuff. And I was like, well, what is going on here? Yeah. That is a smart way to do it. Cause then you're still calculating that fans and people play that game for 40 hours a week, you yeah. know, and they're just being constantly so You know, as a consumer, we see so many brands every single day. Like how many logos are spent? Like, I don't know. There was some research done a bit ago. I don't know if it was like five or 10,000 different logos that we are being faced with every single day. And it becomes sticky when you see things repetitively, especially if like, if you're playing a game for a really long time, like a FIFA 
And the experience mirrors a live event where you've got the, the brand integration throughout the, you know, the LED 360 and you've got, you know, commercials integrated. Like it's really interesting because it's not, it's not abrasive because it mirrors an experience that we're already used to. Sure. Which is, which is how I feel like there's a huge difference between sports gamification, sports games, mm-hmm. and a brand integration within a traditional sports game sure. and games like Call of Duty. But Call mm-hmm. of Duty's been doing some pretty interesting things where, you know, their their brand partners can have logo, their logos on the on the in-game jerseys, on those in-game kits. Yes. Um, right. I think Call of Duty, though, does something very well that I haven't seen a lot of other, you know, games do as well. They're commercials. They have all those celebrities in game playing like you could not get a better. You could not buy that kind of material to me, like seeing Jonah Hill in a whole army outfit taking out Kobe Bryant. May he rest in peace at that time. I could have died laughing like that to me is also smart because you're you are resonating now with a younger audience that loves those kind of people you would never think would play those games. Right. And I'm like, I need that game. The lines are out the door when Call, Call of Duty Black Ops went. Like I remember seeing every GameStop and everything would just look like the new iPhone was coming out. It was insane. But you know what's really interesting about that? Mm-hmm. It was so that type of of influencer strategy was yeah. still very authentic. I mean they were just leaning in on the the existing culture of of celebrities and influencers that already were passionate about the brand because it has been around right. for you know over 10 years so when you when when a, when a publisher is able to really dissect not only the people who are influencers that are culturally relevant but then who are their followers and where can we kind of triangulate this, this message to lean in even harder to grow this affinity to, to your game and to your brand and to make really fun content with it. Like very, very consumable content that even goes farther, goes deeper into mainstream because the, because that cultural relevance and how quirky and fun and exciting those moments are can transcend people who might not even play that game. But I was wondering <laughs> how, how like insane the moment is. You yeah. Know? I was one of those people. I was like, uh, who knows this game and how do I learn how to play? That was, that was me. That was that person. So <laughs> I love that. The thing you have to think about, I think one of the unique things I've seen recently is the mobile games. I mean, we're going to talk about esports and gaming just in general, but the mobile games right now, I play a lot of. I'm on my phone a lot. And if I need to just like take a five minute break and just like completely erase my game, I, uh, my brain, I go to those mobile games and I'm seeing a lot of different brands insert themselves slightly, just very yeah. slightly. Like the, the Mario Kart game, you're starting to see Coca-Cola on the background. You're starting to see all these little things as you're going around these racetracks and you're like, what? this is a Mario game, but it's, you're starting to see that on the mobile apps as well. The thing I love about mobile gaming, well, there's a couple of really key things. I think that brands need to understand about the mobile market and mobile gaming. The reason why mobile is on such an uptick and an upswing is the globalization of, of esports as a whole. Yeah. I agree. If you think about access to technology Mm-hmm. Even in third world countries, people are buying smartphones. They have smartphones. They probably don't have a PC computer. They may not have a console to their TV, yeah. but they have a mobile phone. So to for, for publishers and developers, it's advantageous for them to create games that can be mobile because it gives them a broader reach. But right. one of the most impactful things from a consumer standpoint if you are a brand, a consumer brand, and you want to reach consumers, is to understand that 79% of the mobile gaming market are women. That's right. Yes. I just read that article. Huge. You know, if you think about how many gamers there are, there's 2.7 billion gamers, Mm -hmm. 2.5 are are on mobile. I mean, that's like the lion's share of the market globally that are really leaning in on mobile games. 
So if you are a consumer brand, another thing we also know about, about women in, in mobile games, and some of these aren't like the esports games that you and I are talking about. Some of them are just yeah. like strategy games and Puzzles, uh, like those, yeah. games and yeah. the copy games, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's a gaming strategy. It's a digital strategy. So if you're a brand and you want to reach that, that mom market or that, cons- that female consumer, the we right. know that the data shows that a lot of times women are the ones who are leading the purchase of consumer product brands within their household. 80% of household purchases are by women. I did that study. 80% across yeah. the board. So we also know from, from research, Nuzu did some research on in-app purchases. Mm-hmm. And and women are, are purchasing things through mobile that are pushed to them through mobile. So what a right. great way for, for brands, consumer brands to reach that really desirable market in a new way, because the way that we're engaging with technology now, it's mm-hmm. not just about esports enthusiasts. It's really about mainstream culture and how we're engaging with our phones and with platforms. Gaming is a right. part of that. Esports right. is, a, is a segment of that. But if brands can really pivot their mindset and kind of break out of the norm and do some, even just some test and measure, some A-B testing within this space, I think they're going to be very, because it's where consumers moving towards as, as a whole. And I think we've seen just, you know, gasoline on the, on the fire when um, the majority of us are, are trying to not leave our homes unless absolutely necessary and making decisions even more online and pulling the trigger on things. I mean, I buy things through Instagram all the time, all the time. And And TikTok too. Yeah. Never thought that. I mean, literally click and shop right from Instagram, which is just bonkers for me. Yeah, between Facebook, Pinterest, TikTok, and Instagram, like you, I mean, don't get me wrong, Amazon is great, but they don't have those fashion icons. Like you go from Instagram and you're following some fashion icon, it exclusive right there, you get to buy it. Like, And there's things that like aren't even measurable where I've seen the same product pushed to me a few times through Instagram or Pinterest. And then I will order it down the road from a different platform or I'll buy it in store, you know, on my own. And, and it's, it, it's from large purchases to like small ones. I went into Cabela's yesterday because I wanted to get a couple of Carhartt hats and they were like, we can't keep Carhartt hats off the sh- uh, on our shelves because <laughs> just like, there's just something culturally that's happened where like so many influencers are wearing Carhartt hats that like, yeah. people are coming in that wouldn't normally, that's not their traditional market. That's not who was buying them before, but now because it's kind of gone mainstream and, and that's just the power of, of brands and, and product placement. Sometimes it's unexpected. I don't, I don't know if Carhartt did a very specific strategy to try to push those hats or if it just happened because the right influencers started wearing them in their TikTok videos and Instagram. But when you look at the sheer volume of very dedicated followers of some of these top streamers, Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a lot of really unexpected brands coming in and supporting those types of influencers through Twitch in, in whole new ways. Like it's going to be, I remember when I first started getting into space four years ago, and I would read Esports Observer, and it would be like one or two a week Love of Esports a Observer. brand that was coming into the space. Right? Yeah. Ooh, this brand's now in the space, and they were never yeah. there. And now it's like all the time. I mean, every day there's another brand announcing that they're getting into this space. So it's not like it's 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 like get in while you can, while you can afford to, because there's going to be we, we're not at the tipping point yet. We're just still oh, wow. There's still so much freedom, you know, like I'm sure NFL when it first launched a hundred years ago and stuff, there was like, okay, we'll do whatever. Let's just get our name out there and our brand. And, you know, Riot games, everybody else right now is there's a lot of freedom out there for them to really push these games and this content and develop some really authentic things in between, whether it's in game activation, you know, building their asset portfolio and, you know, really having something monetizable. 
I think that, you know, get in while you can, because before you know it, 10 years, 10 years down the line, there might be like this whole platform where you have these guidelines that go through and you might not like that anymore. You know, I, I could be speaking, I could be completely wrong. Who knows? Well, but. I mean, just having a voice and, and the willingness for teams to be collaborative. You know, I, I consult yeah. with, with, with a few teams here in Minnesota, but the Minnesota rocker call of duty team is one of them. Right. And we will literally bring up a, a brand partner in a creative call and brainstorm content ideas, or we'll have ideas that our content team puts together that are very brand specific and we'll run them by. And we want that partner to be a part of the, the content strategy because we want it to be very collaborative. Right. And it's so funny you say that, you do that. It's also because the team is so new. I mean, they've just so turned a year old that it's, super affordable to, to do an esports strategy with that team right now. But a year from now, that price is going to go up five years from now, that's price going to really go up. So like, we're doing partnerships with little local brands here, like Minnesota based brands. And we're doing partnerships with large national service companies and brands, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's all on a different scale based on what their goals and objectives are, what they're trying to do and and how many touch points that we're building in. I mean, we're really custom fitting things. And I I think you're right. Like I I can't imagine the capacity to do that at large scale, which is where this industry is headed. It's going to be a very large scale industry, large yeah. scale operations. I think it's funny that you said that we brainstorm with the brand. I'm spoiled. I've, you know, when I worked at Octagon and even with TLC, we always had the brand on the phone and we were always brainstorming with them and we were always, they were in a part of everything. So I think to me, that's a unique, I feel like that's the only way you really can do it because they know their brand. They know what they can and cannot do and stuff, but we know where they can push those limits and I'm saying that to anybody who works in this industry, you know where they can push those limits. You know if you're a Minnesota rocker and what you can and cannot do and what you want to see happen and how many different touch points you can do, whether it's the gaming, when it's your your launch event in January, you know, it, it's, it, it can definitely, it builds that partnership. And then there's that retainer, right? Right. You've built that, that remorse and you guys are all good friends now, or maybe not, but maybe you just know that you can get the job done. There's that trust that's built. Yeah, we want to sign with Minnesota Rocker again. We got our bank for our buck and we also just, we trust them. We know they're going to take us to the next level. There's your retainer right there. So it's an interesting way. I did want to go back on something though that I think you touched really well on just like your personal experience with like seeing brands over and over again on Instagram and you finally just buy it. If you're in mobile games, where I understand when I play these games, like you could go, you could get extra points or whatever it is by watching a free ad and it's promoting another game. And you're seeing it over and over and over again. Cause you're like, I want a free life instead of buying it for whatever it is on iPhone. So I'll just watch a free ad. And I have like four new games on my phone because of doing that, watching it over. And I'm like, you know, that does look fun. Let me play that. And then now I'm playing that constantly. So I think that's another way that brands are just really could capitalize on that in site in mobile gaming, stuff like that too. You can become a part of that quick ad to get them another free level or, you know, weapon or whatever it is inside that game. Right. Yeah. I think, well, there's a, there's a Jack, Jack links, an article just came out about what they're doing in this space. So Jack links is like beef jerky and they, they started with a partnership with envy gaming, but what they're doing now is if you buy a product, one of their products that like a specific product that's co-branded with the CDL in store, it has codes that give you in-game skins or in-game, yeah, token, yeah, whatever it is in-game, which mm-hmm. I, I, a brilliant way to, especially for a consumer product like that, a con, and and a and a perishable consumer product, right? So you constantly right. getting it. This is something where it's not a one-time purchase, like mm-hmm. again and again. You're you're leveling up. You're getting more and more things within the game you already love and you play and it's being given to you by something you're consuming and consuming and consuming. So it's really kind of cool because it's, it's taking, you know, the in-store activation and marrying it with an in-game product. Yeah. In-game product integration. I think that is like a really brilliant 
strategy. And I think that we'll probably see people adopting that methodology as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also like the idea of really kind of earning clout and earning rewards within the space that can maybe convert into a tangible. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. You know, almost like the the things we would collect. I think there were like, I'm trying to think of what it was where we would, my brother and my sister and I were like collecting them off of like a soup can or a cereal box or something, but you could. Oh, uh, was it gather, those like tests for kids, like education or something like that? Not that it wasn't one, right? The ones that go to school. It wasn't like the ones that go to your school. It was like ones that if you collected 10 of them and you cut them out of a box, you could mm-hmm. put them in an envelope and mail them in and they'd send you like a pack of- Oh, well, you're going old school products. there. <laughs> I know, I'm super old. No, I did that too. I used to want to get the prize or whatever it was. It was a Frosted Flakes box. I used to do that all the time because that was my favorite yeah. cereal. Or like, or like, I think one of them was like a Trix yogurt and you could like send like the the tops in and then you'd get these- it's The aluminum tops, aluminum, yeah. Like these little tricks. Oh, they change color. Yes. They change color and they got pulled. Yeah. Old. That was like, no, you're not. I love like those the things. 90s. Those are great. Okay. I used to pick those. But when you think about the ability to, <laughs> to like engage with content and engage with content specifically yeah. and earn things that could turn into tangibles from, you know, your top influencer or streamer or a <laughs> team, I think that there's a lot of room to to play with that and to go in really deep there, especially if it's limited edition, exclusive, you know, um, like what hundred thieves does, right? hundred oh, thieves has all that yeah. incredible merch and people will see you on the stream. Be like, I'll give you $500 for that sweatshirt. Cause it's not in existence. They release it once and it's done. Like yeah. it's insane. They do that. They do that. Well, they do that. Well, hundred thieves do does that, that very well. Very well. Yeah. I mean, another, another area that's blowing up is hundred thieves. Like look what they're doing in the space. They're blowing up, but they really, they've put a lot of robust marketing strategy internally as well. So that's a totally, we could talk another hour about that, about the ability for, for these, these large teams, these really organizational umbrella teams to, to not just think about how they're going to use their platform to market a partner, but mm-hmm. utilizing deep marketing strategy to grow their brand and to, you know, their, their own, their own marketing strategy, their own brand strategy and leaning in really hard there. It's hard to do that. I mean, it takes money to do that, right? They've got some pretty big investors though, to help with that money. Drake just signed on as a new one. You know, they've, they've got some pretty big backing there, but same as what MasterCard did with it with League of Legends. You know, my client, our client, excuse me, let me say that the client that we all shared, he gave us an extra mill just to make sure we could do that cargo container because he knew how important it was to sell this in the right way, not right. just like give him a PowerPoint and walk through the data points, see it, feel it, go through it, see if it's the right fit for the brand. You know, and I think that's if you put the money where your mouth is, you, you're probably going to see some pretty big returns in that. Right. So. Yes. As we wrap up here, you are currently a free agent. I am a free agent. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, just quick pitch. So Jenna, obviously a diamond in the rough, really understands the space from multitude of angles. You're wanting to get into esports. What's kind of like the perfect fit in your eyes of, of where you, where you'd like to kind of sit in the esports space? Mm-hmm. You and I've talked about this. You know, I hate that question because <laughs> I'm you not know, a cookie cutter. I'm not a cookie cutter person. I haven't done, I've done everything, which it sounds like I sound conceited when I say that, but as I've been, you know, unemployed for a while now and going through this process, they expect you to be something of that where having like you and I have this multitude array of all these different, you know, incredible talents and behind us, it doesn't always fit, but anything, probably like a brand manager, um, brand director of some sort, you know, I've done a lot in that space with strategy and account management and integrated marketing. And I think I could really be an asset to that space just from, because I'm also learning, right? Like wherever I go next, I'm going to have to be the student for a long time and I'm going to enjoy that. 
I'm a big nerd at heart. Well, I, mean, um, I think we all have to. I think if people are saying that right. too, then then they're going to get left in the dust, right? Because yeah, we're in it alive. <laughs> I, I but I want to be in that space of a brand manager, brand director, and, and titles don't really mean that. That's just what I I think I call myself a senior brand marketing executive. That's just where I stand. I do really well with understanding the the space that we you know whether it's. Let's just say it's like a hundred thieves. We'll just say that I'll understand who we are as a company, as a whole, and the space that we want to go in. But the next part that I really immerse myself in is the consumer. What are the trends and the touch points that we want to reach? Where does it fit within our internal goals and objectives? And then how do we go and be authentic and curate something that's just, you know, it's ours. We own it. We know we did it right. And I am looking forward to that. Just being a part of a team again like that and just really throwing myself to the wind there. You know, I love, you know me, I work with you all the time. Yeah. I love to hit the ground running and take a challenge and have 48 hours to turn around. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of the wild west world that we're living in. So I, I know I, yeah. do, I do love having you as a resource and partnering with you on things because I think we're very similarly like-minded and we just yeah, want to sure. things, how to get things done. So how does someone get in touch with you? What's the best way for somebody to reach you if they want to like learn more about, about you and, and even bring you in for an interview? Absolutely. Find me on LinkedIn. It's Jenna Johnson, or you can find me through my email. It's JB as in boy, Johnson24 at gmail.com. I'm always checking constantly. It's kind of disgusting at this point how much time I spend on LinkedIn in my email that's not work related but I'm always available and I will make time for anybody just to chat as I've said to you as I've met lovely Rebecca my whole purpose on LinkedIn was just to educate myself and she you know she really gave me a great lowdown on esports she's an incredible resource to this this community and I was able to really just gain a friend and also gain another mentor in this process. So that's usually what I'm trying to do on LinkedIn is, is build my education and put, push my brain a little bit more so I can find out where I fit perfectly in this space. <laughs> well, I, you're headed for great things. I mean, you're going to kill it. And I'm so grateful. I, this was a super cool, fluid conversation. Like I, I, I knew we'd have a really good chat because we have great chats all the time, but I yeah. love the, I love the direction that this conversation went and the insights that you are able to provide, you definitely understand consumers and the space in, in, in so many robust ways. So thanks so much for coming on and being a part of my show, Jenna. Thank you for having me. You did great too, by the way. I'm not the only one who taught people things here. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll talk okay. soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye.